Oh, hold on. One, two. Yeah. Let's go again. For the podcast, we'll start from here. Um, <laughs> I quite like to, uh, to, to encourage the worship team at how good they are. But we do it quite a bit. And what we don't want to do is, because these guys are up front anyway, so they're getting all the praise. You know, and we want to, you know, encourage the people behind the scenes who are doing all the work that people don't see. Um, but it's, it is difficult when the worship was so good, isn't it? They make it so hard not to kind of mention how, how good they're doing. So um, anyway, well done. For those of you that are listening on the podcast, welcome. For those of you who are in here this morning and have managed to make it, fantastic. Anyone who, who listens to the podcast? Downloads it, yeah. So many people. Um, if I, I, so funny, so so funny. You know, have you, have you ever been in? Have you ever heard of those coins? Say when they bring out a new coin, okay, and then they make a mistake on the coin, and like the queen's head's the wrong way round, or there's a spelling mistake on it, and it's kind of you know it's bad. So you you like you know it's a mistake. So they immediately withdraw it. But then what tends to happen is if you've got one of those originals, they are worth a fortune. Well, let me tell you, if you're one of the dozens of people who downloaded our podcast last week, the first edition, I reckon it's, or the week before, I reckon it's going to be worth quite a bit of money because this had a, quite a mistake on it. My wife, my, my pastor in arms, Vicky, who was preaching that week, as she got down, she didn't turn her microphone off. So she was used to get back up and say something, and she's just kind of quietly singing to herself, you know, just as you do with a mind elsewhere. Well, all of this is on the podcast. Absolutely hilarious. If you've got it, keep it. If you haven't and you want a copy of it, come and see me later, because I've got a copy, and I might just be able to get one across for you. Anyway, anyway, enough frivolity. Let's get back on with the meeting. Um, <laughs> Uh, in the early 2000s, do you know what? It's not an exaggeration to say I, I, I was in a, a situation where I, you could easily say I had it all. I'd, I'd studied, I'd gone to university, um, I hadn't, de- hadn't kind of planned necessarily with my life to go to university. I had when I was at school and I had a difficult upbringing and then just went off the rails when I left school and then I, I, I became a Christian and from that point on, I was like, I just, you know, I just want to serve God. I'm not chasing any position or anything like that. And I ended up in a, in a job working for my brother-in-law, sweeping up leaves. Like one of the worst jobs you could possibly do in autumn time. Just like, you know, but I was doing it because it was like, I just do anything just to kind of, you know. And God graciously just... I had a, a gift and he graciously brought that gift out in me through a, a series of circumstances. I ended up going to university. I ended up getting a, a, a degree at university, first class honours. And, and my academic transcript, which is your examination results, was so good. I was getting like 100%, 98% in my modules. I was finishing top of my year. That when I left, or as I was about to leave university, I remember this moment going to a careers interview. And I'd gone to university. University, the, the ambition, if you like, had been to go into teaching because I had a gift to teach. And I went into this careers interview and the guy on the other end of the table, he was a fantastic careers advisor. He, this guy really knew his job. And he sat on the other side of the table and he said, 
you could do the world's your oyster. You could literally do anything you want. And I, to this day, remember my reply to him. I, I, I regret it. And, and I said to him, what's the best paid job I could do? And he said, well, you want to go into assurance, chartered accountancy, or you could go into actuary, but that's another six years of study. And I thought, the, other, the first one sounds great. So I went into that, and I, I got a job working for a company called PricewaterhouseCoopers in assurance. And when I look back at this job, it was incredible. To talk about living the dream, they, they were top every year, I don't know if they still are now because I don't kind of follow them, of the Times Top 100 Graduate Employers list. They used to finish top every single year. This company looks after the employees. In fact, we were talking about this last night, actually, funnily enough, with some friends. But this company looks after their employees like no other company I know of. They, they really, really did. I used to have uh, an American Express card for expenses. There was no limit on that car, card. I could have gone out and bought a car on it and it would have been approved immediately. If we went on an away job, we were stopping in the best hotels. There was no limit on, on what you needed to get. First class travel. Um, I had the top private medical insurance for me and my family. There was a, a structured career progression plan. Um, by now, I, I'd have been earning half a million plus a year easily, no problem whatsoever. Um, this job was, it, it was just absolutely incredible. It had the best pay. Um, there was the best training in it. The training was second to none. We used to be in, in the best training facilities. We'd go down to London, you name it, and, and do all the training and, and, and everything. It was just top notch right the way across the board. And I was living the dream. I literally had everything. The job was that good. It, it had an international reputation. This was the biggest chartered accounting firm in the world, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, you, I could have gone abroad to work. You name it, I, it was just, we were in a fantastic position, weren't we? It was just it, it, everything we could have dreamed of. Uh, it was that good. In fact, when it, eventually when I did leave, just the fact that you'd had this job, the process to get in, to be accepted to this job was so long, so involved. You think the X Factor's bagged, this was, this was another level. But just the fact that you'd worked for this company and their name was on your CV, you could have walked into most jobs from it. And when I left, I was getting phone calls from different companies to go and work for them. That I didn't even know how they knew my number or they'd got hold of me or anything like that. This, is, this was just the situation we found ourselves in. And it, it was... Just highly respected, and I was highly respected for, that, for having worked for them. I could have stayed there until I retired. It had everything except one thing, one single thing, and that was that it wasn't my heart's desire. My heart's desire was actually to serve God and to give him everything. Now, let me explain. That does not mean if you're in a high-paying job or you know, a, a, a job working for a company, if you're not stood up here on the pulpit, you're not serving God. I didn't mean that, but th this job wasn't doing that, and I knew I was in it for the wrong reasons. I'd gone in it for financial reasons and career reasons and all of this, and it was just there was something else in me there was something else in me that just really, really wanted to serve God. And equally, I knew that when I'd left the, the kind of the gardening stuff that I'd been doing and God had called me out of that and said, no, I want you to go to university and I want you to do that, that I'd done it to actually go into teaching. That, and, and, and I wasn't doing that. 
I was doing something else. And there was just something deep inside that was jarring with me, that was telling me I'm not doing what I should be doing. And ironically, it was actually using some of the things that I learned working for that company. I did SWOT analysis on my own life and stuff like that. And, and I went through this process to realise and discover that uh, much prayer as well, obviously in the midst of all this, this is the wrong job. I'm, I'm not where I should be. I'm not feeling fulfilled. I'm not being fulfilled. There's more. There's more. And I had to do something. I had to be willing to do something. I had to answer one of the most important questions in my life. And I had to be willing to, to, this was the question really, am I willing to give up everything I've got to be all that I'm meant to be? Am I willing to give up everything that I've got, the career progression, the money, the status, the company car, the the medical insurance, you name it, the opportunities to go around the world. Am I willing to give all of that up to be everything that I was created to be, to really fulfill my dreams and my calling? I had to answer that question. And it's a question that actually everyone who wants to be all that they were created to be has to ask themselves and has to answer not just once, but multiple times through your life. It's not something that, it's not a one-time thing. Well, I've done that bit now and now I can just kind of get on with what I'm doing. Now, this question comes up regularly. Multiple times for people who are, who are really living the, the cold life, a purposeful life doing what they were designed and created to do. Some of you have seemingly got everything. You, you could say similarly, you could say, well, okay, my job may not be as glamorous, but I know I've got everything I want. I've got everything, this, this job, it's got everything I wanted in life, status, whatever, but there's still something missing. There's still something that's not there. That I know that there's a hole there's a hole that's not being filled, it's not being fulfilled. A hole where your real purpose, your real dreams should be. Some of you have pushed them down. Those dreams, those, those desires to be higher, to really be what you were called to be. You, you've pushed them down, you've kept them down you, because you've maybe missed the opportunities that have come along to do them. We all want to do better. We all want to achieve our dreams. We all want to live a, 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 a better life, a greater life, a life of purpose, a life of calling, a meaningful life. Maybe some of you are like me and you think that your life is special, that you're not just one of a number of people and you're just here just for the sake of it. But maybe you've pushed it down as well. Just as equally as those thoughts have come, when they've come, they've been pushed down out of fear. Fear of not achieving it. Fear of kind of dreaming too much, dreaming too big. You know that, that, that vision offering that, that Dave did so well last week and Vicky did so well this morning. That, that, that vision offering that we've got for £20,000, right? When you heard that, the, the, my hope is that it was actually inspirational. But let me tell you this, if you thought that was too little, I, want to, I would argue with you, please see me after the meeting, I would argue it's not enough. We should be asking for more. 
We should be asking for more. And I don't mean asking you. In one sense, when, if we stand up here and we say this and we put this out here, in one sense, we're not asking you, we're asking God. First and foremost, it's God we're asking. It's done in faith. Otherwise, we stand up here and we look like fools. We're just dreamers. But it's done because we believe in faith. We believe in the promises of God. We believe when Jesus stood there and he said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door is open to him. I believe those words. I believe when he says you have not because you ask not. That's the heart when I say we're not asking for enough actually. That's, this is not like some preemptive to an offering talk when I'm saying well, actually we're going to ask for more. That's not what, what this is about. I'm trying to set out a principle here. Yeah. That there's more, there's more available to us. This series that we're in the middle of, how to live the, the, the most fulfilling, the most rewarding life. That you could ever lead. I believe that with all my heart. The heart of this this series of what it's about. If you can get it. If you can get it. And and in one sense sometimes it's a bit hidden. Sometimes actually purposefully. There'll be messages in the message that are hidden. They're purposefully hidden. They're not like just stand up here and say right this is what you got to do. Brilliant, job done. 45 seconds. Forget 45 minutes. 45 seconds, job done. We can all go home. No, they're hidden. And they're hidden on purpose. They're hidden on purpose. Because you have to seek. You have to ask. You have to knock. God just could have said, hey, it's, it's yours. You just, you're going to just find everything. You're not even going to have to look for it. You're going to find it. Doors, it's going to be like when you, ever done that thing where you walk into the doors of a department store and you stand there and, and you're like, why haven't they just opened for me? <laughs> What's going on? Um, and you look like a bit of an idiot. You know, like we expect all these doors just to open for us. God could have made the world like that, but it's not quite like that. We sometimes have to press buttons and knock on doors and ask questions and go and look and all of these things. But when we do, he promises us. He promises us that he will give us all of our dreams and all of the things that are good for us. Perhaps like me, you've believed that your life is special. You've believed that you were called for more than what Jeremy Kyle has been selling for the last 15 or 20 years on the telly. Anyone I was expecting a slightly better reaction than that. Come on, that was topical and everything. Is that... Uh, wow. I was, I was hoping that I'd get... Uh, some of you maybe think that, you know, you, you've got more than what Jeremy Kyle <laughs> for the podcast <laughs> has been selling for the last 20 years. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that that is right. There is more than what he's been selling for the last 20 years. This life of moaning and complaining and whinging and pointing fingers and at other people and stuff like that. But actually we can truly have an amazing life. You can help yourself. You can help yourself. It's like being in a garden with the greatest fruit and all you got to do is just go and help yourself. But there's a principle. There's a principle that you need to understand because that first bit is only half the story. You can help yourself. 
there's a principle that you've really got to understand, okay? And it is that you can help yourself to be higher. And the way you do that is by helping your way higher. You help your way higher. You help your way higher. You help your way higher. That is how you do it. That's how you fulfill the void. You see, if your life is only about helping yourself, then you've failed. You've failed. In fact, you're a failure. If your life is literally only about helping yourself and your family and you, then you have failed. There is more to life than that. You are a failure. That sounds harsh. The good news is that it's never too late to change. Never too late to change. No matter where you are in life, no matter what stage you are at in life, it is never too late to change. It is never too late to move on. In fact, our lives are more about what we do for others. Far more about what we do for others than they are ever or could ever be or will ever be about what you do for yourself. What you do for others will count more than anything you ever do for yourself. Any achievement, any title, any position, any grandeur, any crown that you could ever wear is nothing compared to what you do for others. The two don't even tally up. And at the end of your life, God says this. He says, all of those things, he classes them as like wheat and stubble and hay, bits of straw, if you like. At the end, what he says is your life, our lives, was going to be tested to see what it was made of, what kind of quality was your life. How good was it? Did it live up to the standard? And God says he's got, a, he's got a procedure for how he's going to test it. Now the good news is he tells us in advance how he's going to test it, what that procedure is. It's like going into an exam knowing the questions before you get there. That sounds good, doesn't it? Plenty of kids doing the GCSEs at the moment, mine included, who would love to know what's on the exam paper in a week on Monday. And if they did, there would be no excuse for getting anything other than the top marks, would there? You just you know what the questions are, find the answers, learn them, job done. Yeah. Write them on your arm. No, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> Our lives are worth more, are valued more, are judged more on what we do for others than what we do for ourselves. And the testing procedure that God uses is simple. It's fire. It's fire. He uses fire because the reason he uses fire is that anything that's not solid, that's not precious, that can't test, that can't last past the test of fire gets burnt up. And all that remains is the gold and the silver and the precious metals and all of that stuff. All of that remains and all the worthless, meaningless stuff just gets burnt up and isn't even there. I don't even think he sees it. He chooses to ignore it and just looks at the good stuff that we do. That's all that's left. The rest just goes. 
And the good stuff we do is what we do for others. More than anything else, it is what we do for others. The most rewarding thing you can possibly do with your life is found there. It is literally found there. God is always, and here's the other good news, this is why it's never too late, God is always bringing new opportunities for you to help people. They're there every single day. You've only got to open your eyes to see the opportunities to go out and to help people, to go out and to be something, to go out and to do something incredible and something great with your life. Think about it. Just one of the simplest of things. We had a conversation the other day, uh, me and Vicky, and we'd gone into this conversation actually thinking that this could be an opportunity for us. So we were kind of all set up in this conversation and, and, and we sat down in this conversation and it turned out this conversation was all about the other person we were cool with that in fact I, I said to Vicky a couple of days later we, we were driving to Costco to, to get some stuff and, and we, I said to Vicky I said you know what I said that opportunity I said that, that we thought could have been there I said it, it may have gone I said but do you know what if, if that conversation was only about helping those people in, in the situation they were in then I'm more than glad because I trust God. I trust God that he's able to reward me from from fields that I've not even sown into. I I just sow. I don't don't consider, I don't just sow. I'll sow there because I know I'll get a return if I sow there. I know that if I put it into that field, in fact, I'm I'm being convicted as I'm saying these words, that, that there's a higher standard even for me. How often? How often do we sow into fields that we know we're going to get a return from. And then we go, I'm not going to sow into that field because I know almost certainly I won't get a return from that field. So I'm just going to pick this one because that's a safe bet. And I'm still sowing. I'm still doing the whole giving thing so I can feel good about myself. But I know I'm going to get a return back as well. There's a bit of stubble in there, isn't there? There's a bit of wheat in there. Some straw in there. I'm not sure all of that will pass the test. Some of it may be, some of it, but I'm sure some of that won't, some of that will fail. Some of you are are trying to, I I see this, I see people trying to be like the boss, trying to be like the the person who they think is the the number one person or whatever. And and one of the the things I see, the mistakes I see people make when they're doing that is, what they do is they they think, okay, so I see the boss asking people to do things and and putting on people seemingly and, and stuff like that. So I'll do that. If I speak to people and ask them to do stuff for me, that'll make me the boss. If I get people to, to do things for me and put on people and talk to them like I'm the boss, that will make me the boss. That will promote me. I'll be like them if I just do what they do. But what they don't realise is that, do you know how the boss got to be the boss? Most bosses, most bosses got to be the boss by helping others. If you want to succeed, if you want to rise, you only rise by helping others. You help your way to the top. You help your way to the top. And the good news is you're actually helping yourself to all the great stuff, but you're doing it by helping others. 
You help your way to the top. And all most bosses have helped their way to the top. Any who haven't, if you think you can just be the boss by just kind of acting like it and talking like it and, and all of this stuff, you're deceiving yourself. You are deceiving yourself. You can only do it by helping others. And those bosses that have just managed together, you might say, yeah, but that guy is so selfish and whatever. How long do you think he's going to last? How long do you think he's going to stay there? How long is someone going to succeed? Is someone going to stay in a position when they're only helping themselves? Because as soon as that position becomes untenable, the knives are out. And, and they'll lose it. It'll be gone. Because all successful bosses, all bosses that have lasted, stood the test. Or, or when I say bosses, that's just a metaphor for anyone who's risen in any kind of position or anything like that. They've all, they all know that to stay there, you only stay there by helping others. Helping others. Helping other people's mess. Helping other people's problems, helping other people's difficulties and issues and cleaning the toilets and all that stuff. If you've brought a Bible with you this morning, turn to John, uh, John chapter 8. Most leaders have got there by serving others, cleaning up other people's mess. There was a, a, a story in the Bible, a situation in the Bible that Jesus found himself in. And this situation, he, he found himself in a situation where he literally had to clean up somebody else's mess. John 8 starts like this. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. It says a crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. We haven't got a seat, have we? I'll sit on the edge of the stage, maybe. So the crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. This was someone else's mess. They put her there to shame her. They put her there because her in that culture being caught in the acts of adultery meant that she was liable to be stoned to death. Meant that she was suddenly dirty, filthy, unclean. Someone to, to, to point fingers at and not go anywhere near. Someone certainly not to side with. Someone to stay away from. Now, Jesus had an important mission. He was the Son of God and he was here for a reason and for a purpose. This situation was the equivalent to, to walking in and seeing Barack Obama or uh, Theresa May cleaning the toilets. You wouldn't expect it, would you? And that's what was presented to Jesus. Here you go, Jesus. How would you deal with this? And they were doing it to trap him. It was the only reason they did this. The only reason they brought this woman to Jesus, which she was fortunate about, was to trap him. To catch him out. 
to catch him, to, to humiliate him. How many world leaders would you expect to, to catch cleaning toilets? You wouldn't imagine it, would you? Actually, probably more than you think. Probably more than you think. The greatest ones anyway. The dictators, certainly not. Anyway, it goes on, John 8, 4 to 6, it says this. Teacher, they said to Jesus, there was, I reckon it was a hint of sarcasm when they said teacher. They hated him. They hated him. That was flattery. You know when someone's flattering you and you just think, your, your words are ugh, snake. <laughs> teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the acts of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, right, why did they need to come and ask him? If they knew what the law of Moses said, why did they need to come and ask Jesus? Why, why bother asking? They've already told him what the law says. Why ask? Why not just get on and do it? Only one reason, they were there to catch him out. Now listen to this. It doesn't say this, but I'll show you in a minute why he did. Jesus stood up. I'm not sure when because it doesn't tell us when he stood up, but he certainly stood up. I suspect it was perhaps at this point, maybe it was a little bit earlier, maybe it was just out, maybe as the Pharisees came, maybe everyone stood up and maybe Jesus being a respectful man just, you know, to honour them stood up himself. I don't know, but he certainly stood up at some point. He was sat down, but at some point he stood up and it was some point just before this next verse. Because it then says this, it says, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. He stooped down. Now, if, you've, if anyone studied politics, leaders or anything like that, you will know that most leaders, most politicians, one of the first things they are taught by all of their coaches is how to stand authoritatively. In fact, Clinton, uh, no, sorry, not Clinton, who was the one whose son became president as well? Bush. Bush Jr., he was quite a small man and he used to walk, apparently the image, he used to walk around like that to make himself look bigger with his hands in that position to take up more space to make himself look bigger. So the very last thing he would have ever done in any situation apart from make a fool of himself, which he's famous for with some of his quotes, but one of the last things he would have ever done, because he certainly knew about body language, was to do that and just stoop like that. Because that's a humble position. That's a lowly position. That's not the position of a leader. The leader takes the top position, the highest seat, you name it. They don't stoop. They don't come down. They don't just go down like, he must have been like that. I mean, I don't know, but was he like that? Is that more stooping? Did he bend his legs? I don't know. I, I, in fact, I suspect he did that because that's even more, isn't it, than crouching. He just stooped and wrote in the dust. With his finger. But they kept demanding an answer, it says. 
They kept demanding. So this tells us this must have gone on. This wasn't like he stooped and, and then they asked him and then he went, oh, okay. No, they kept asking him and he just kept stooping. There was no looking down on them or exerting his authority. This was the man who holds the very universe in his hands. All power and all authority are, were, always have been and always will be his. He could have exerted his authority at that point, but he didn't. He just stooped and he kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again. This is how we know he must have stood up. Because it says again. And he stood up again and he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. You know what he did next? For the tape, he stooped down. And wrote in the dust with his finger. Again. He took the position of a servant. This is a man, was a man, an example of someone who didn't need to exert his authority, didn't need to act like the boss, didn't need to you know, bully his way around, didn't need a title, didn't need to demand a position or anything like that. He was able to serve because he knew what serving really is. He understood servanthood. He came, the Bible says, to serve. Not to be served, but to serve his whole life, his whole life on earth was serving at its most precious, at its most passionate, at its most powerful, at its most difficult, at its most intense, at its most humiliating. But he had no fear. He didn't need the acclamation of men or the title of men or the robes or anything like that. He came to serve. He was prepared to get down on the ground if necessary. He was prepared to be beaten, to be abused, to be mistreated, to be lied about, to be cursed. All of those things and so many more. Because he was a genuine, genuine leader. He knew his real purpose. He knew his real calling. And he knew that the only way he could ever achieve his full calling. Jesus, think about this. The Bible's most... What what could you say about Jesus? The greatest example doesn't seem to be grand enough to describe him and his life. But he knew 
He could only do that by serving. Humbly serving. In whatever it took. Wherever it was. No matter what it was. And you know some people, one of the things I see, I see some people and they they want the highest position. So to get it, they refuse to serve in the lowly positions for fear of being trapped. They look and they think, oh, I I want that. So I'm not going to, if I serve there, I can't do that because if I do that, I won't get to that. I'll be trapped in that. And I want that. What they don't realise is, by staying here, that's where they're trapped. That's where they're trapped. It's only when they let go. It's only when they're willing to sacrifice. And say, you know what? Forget what I want. Anything I want has been put there anyway. I'm just going to serve. I'm going to help my way to the top. I'm going to help and help and help. Because they understand, they realise that actually, actually, in serving, in whatever role, in whatever position, that's the greatest position. That's the greatest position. Didn't Jesus say... The greatest of you will be the servant of all. The greatest of you will be the servant of all. John the Baptist, he was called the greatest prophet. He was called the greatest prophet. He was called greater than Elijah who was already considered the greatest prophet. He came to serve. He went to the humblest place to serve and did the humblest things, wore the humblest clothes, didn't need robes, didn't need crowns, yet he was called the greatest prophet. The greatest king, earthly king, if you like, outside of Jesus was David. He was anointed king as a young boy. Anointed king as a young boy. Samuel the prophet turned up at his house and anointed him as the king of Israel. So, you know what happened next? He put on his crown and and told everyone, I'm the king now. Went back to the field. Served his dad. Went and served his brother or brothers in the battlefield. Just humbly served. Do you think he went to that battlefield? Because he thought, I'm going to go and serve there. If I take sandwiches to that battle, I'm going to end up being king there. Because God's promised me. And if I go there, if I go and serve in that field, that's where I'm going to get promoted. David didn't know that. He didn't have a clue. He didn't know what was going to happen. But he served. He was humble to serve. The greatest among you shall be servant of all. Our joy, our, our, our joy in this church, I'm privileged to receive so many reports of all the great 
uh, the great reports of, 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 of what's happening in this church and, and how blessed people are. But you know what? It comes because of our generosity. It comes because of our humility. It comes because of our heart to serve. It's not by accident. It's because we're humble. We're humble to serve. Church, serve. Serve. There's nothing wrong with wanting to fulfill your purpose and fulfill your calling. That's absolutely fine. But don't try and get there. If you think you can get there, if you think you can just act your way there, if you think someone's just going to place a crown upon your head, you're just going to get a position, if you think you can seek the position alone without actually seeking what the position entails, what you've got to do to be in the position, then you're deceiving yourselves. But seek, seek, seek God first. Seek His glory. His glory in serving others. And God says, all these things, all these things will be added unto you. Amen. Bless you guys.